This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. Friends, thanks for coming back for more. It's episode four now of The Real Mom Podcast, and I am loving these times. I'm loving hearing from you and hearing how you love them. Today, I'm talking to my friend Whitney Bunker, and she is an adoptive mom. She is a social worker. She is an orphan care ministry leader, and she's going to share it all. We talk infertility. We talk the dual role of both an adoptive parent and a social worker, and how both groups can come together and be more understanding. We talk about raising a tween and different resources, and then we have some fun at the end like we always do. So I hope you enjoy this chat with Whitney Bunker. I'm talking today to my friend Whitney Bunker. Whitney is a social worker. She is a ministry leader. She is a mom. She's a mom of two gorgeous, I might add, adoptive girls, and she is a friend of mine. I love her perspective. I love um, to hear from her myself, and so I wanted you to hear from her too. So hi, Whitney. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I'm so happy for everyone to be able to hear from you. So tell everyone about your family. Yes. So I have um, a 10-year-old. It's hard to believe um, who's going to be 11 in a few months. And um, she came to us um, through uh, adoption through foster care when she was five. And she is quite a resilient little girl. Um, she's been through so much and she's overcome so much and she's strong and beautiful. And she also got promoted to big sister, um, (laughs) last March, which she'd been waiting very patiently for. Um, and that was through a beautiful experience doing infant domestic adoption. Um, and our daughter, Sailor Grace will be one. I cannot believe this in just a week. Okay. So you're actually the first mama I've had who has built their family through private adoption. So can you tell me a little bit from start to finish, basically, what that was like? Was that a decision that you set out and made, or did you become aware of a mom who needed to place her child? Go through all of it, the the details, the feelings. Just talk at me. Yes. So we, when we adopted Angel, from foster care shortly after, I would say about a year, um, we just felt like we were ready to have a biological child. We had intentionally started our family through adoption because we just knew that there was kids that needed families. I was a social worker. My husband was a pastor. And we were like, why are we waiting? Like, why do we have to do this conventionally? God's cause, let's do this. Let's do it. Was there Um, anyone else in your circles who you had seen who had sort of gone out of order like that, out of the normal order? One couple. One couple. I actually went to high school um, with the husband, and I admired them so much. They actually were foster parents at the foster care agency that I was working for at the time. And I just thought it was so beautiful how they started their family. And that was one example we had had and thought, gosh, we, they could do it. We could do it. So shortly thereafter adopting Angel, we were ready to try to have a biological child. And little did we know that we would struggle with years of infertility and then five miscarriages. Wow. Wow. So, okay. Can I yeah. ask you this? Because 
as someone who now had already, you had a daughter, so it's not that you were childless. As someone who had a vision for orphan care and adoption, you knew that it was a beautiful thing that God creates families through adoption. But still, I'm sure that was extraordinarily painful. Can you speak to sort of the full picture of what it was like to feel that way when you had a daughter and you believed in adoption, but you were still processing all that? Absolutely. It's a really unique situation to be in when um, you have a passion for adoption, but you also kind of went backwards in the sense of starting your family through adoption and just assuming, oh, we'll have a biological and then we'll adopt a third. And, you know, that was our, our plan. And um, I think becoming a mother, quite honestly, I think I was scared at one point to really have a biological child. Um, and when I became a mother through adoption, something bursted inside me that I was mm. like, I can do this. Like that mother instinct, that God given mother instinct, like it's there. And, um, and that just, God just grew my heart for that. And then to know that that was placed in my heart, but yet I can't carry pregnancies, um, was really hard. I also had an, a daughter who was asking for a baby, who was asking to be a big sister. And it was devastating to not be able to give that to her. Yeah, that must, I, I can't even imagine processing through all of that. And five times, that's, I mean, I, we've never struggled with infertility, so I'm really pretty ignorant on this. What is it like to walk through that loss five times? Does it get easier? Do you start to feel more resolved to it? Like what emotionally, what is that like? Um, for me, everybody's different, obviously yeah. in their, yeah. in their grief. Um, and so that's really important, um, that, you know, one person's processing is not another, but for me in particular, um, it was a real loss that I grieved and, and it didn't matter how early or far along I was. Um, the minute you see the positive pregnancy test, you fall in love with that little thing growing inside of you and you dream and that's hard. And you dream whether you're five weeks or you dream whether you're 15 weeks. And that's the biggest grief is just losing the dreams of what if and what, what could be. And um, me in particular, they don't know why I have reoccurring miscarriages. And so that was the hardest part having to go through, you know, that um, most insurances you have to have, at least three for them to even send you to genetic testing to do anything. Wow. So that was part of the reason why it was so hard. I would say um, for me is I didn't get an answer. I felt like if I had an answer and maybe not, this is just um, hypothetical, but I feel like if I had an answer of like, Oh, you have this particular disease and this is what causes it, that it would be a little bit easier for me to be able to have, um, just had closure sooner, but because we went through the highest testing we could do and they were like, nothing wrong. You can keep trying if you want to. It just got to the point where we decided, okay, five's the number. Um, and immediately after the fifth, we were like, God has our baby somewhere. And that's when we wanted to start the adoption, um, process through infant domestic. So you eventually just felt like, okay, we're going to shut the door on this. Is that what it looked like for you? I know people who are walking through this right now, who are walking through infertility, who have a heart for adoption and kind of don't know where the line, okay, when do we almost at least emotionally stop with one and start with the other? Yes. And I think that 
was something that my husband and I had to be on the same page about because mm. it, that's really important that you guys um, discuss that. Um, I was in a lot of ther therapy, <laughs> um, working through my grief and just understanding where I was. But it's also that individual um, woman because it takes a toll on your body um, to have to go through that five times. And I was feeling like I just physically and emotionally were done. And that's when peace came. Like we had that one last time of trying and then God, you know, God chose to take that little miracle to heaven. And it was like, okay, you know, that peace came. And I feel for most families, eventually they get there, whether to close the door to adopt IVF, it just depends on their situation. But um, always go in the way of peace is just what I like to tell people. Those are really great thoughts. All right. Now give thoughts for the me in this situation. What did people say or do that was helpful and encouraging? And what about otherwise? Um, as far as helping people along um, grief and transitioning from infertility to adoption, uh, what was not helpful was when people found out that we were going to close the door for um, trying to have any more biological kids. And they would say, we'll watch when you adopt, you'll get pregnant. Mm. So that does happen sometimes. Like I know people who that's happened to, but that's not the norm. And mm. even my best friend, she's adopted three times and they still haven't been pregnant. Um, and so it's just something that even though you think it, it's not really helpful to say, even if you know people that that's happened to, Right. Uh, it's best to just keep that to, to yourself. Um, what was helpful is people bringing meals, uh, people bringing gifts, um, just the small things, not anything um, that was, you know, too overt, but just bringing that I had a friend who brought a candle and some peppermint tea and was just like, you know, take a bath, drink some tea, have some you know, self-care. That was just a huge blessing. People who would text you and say, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. A lot of people get caught up in what do I say? And just saying, I'm praying for you and I'm thinking about you is enough. That is such uh, a great feel like I am not alone. That's really great. Yeah. I, I'm a talker. I like to talk at things and fix things. And so I think just that I see you, I'm in this space with you, I guess, similarly, I know it's always different, but just the way that I process through loss and grief, um, when I lose children in a different way, well, no one mm -hmm. says anything magically. It's the chocolate on my doorstep that fills my heart and that's really great. That's really helpful. All right. So there are some other things that are unique about you and your story that I think are helpful to us. And the first is that you are a social worker. So we usually are on separate camps sometimes. <laughs> I was just at Refresh this past weekend and two of my sessions talk a lot about relating to social workers. And I've found that the longer I've been in this journey, the more that I work alongside people in the state, the more I just have compassion and understanding and really see things from a social worker's point of view. But I want to hear straight from you. What is it like wearing both of those hats? You know better than we do the, 
the things that a foster and adoptive parent goes through, and then the realities of a social worker that it's your job, that you are limited by the court system, all those things. Can you speak to, like help us, as foster and adoptive moms, help us. How can we build with our social workers? How can we kind of get through this and stay sane? It has been eye-opening going from doing social work to uh, being a foster and adoptive parent. And I think in theory, there's a lot of things I learned about in my training and then experiencing that um, as a parent has given me eyes of compassion. And so sometimes I do wish that every social worker was able to have the experience of having both, but that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it, that's not the call for every, um, or choice for every social worker. But I will say that it's important for foster and adoptive parents to know that we do take this home and it is hard for us to really lay down um, that role that we have as a social worker when the clock hits five and we are on our way home. Many nights I came crying my husband because social workers, we are fixers, we are problem solvers, we are resource brokers. Um, and at the heart of social work is, is wanting to make change and really wanting that well-being of that child and that family. And so we do take it home with us. But also it's important to know that social workers have some of the highest burnout rate, all helping professions really. But they say nationally between five and seven years is usually mm -hmm. as long as social workers last in the field. And they come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and the system just smacks us across the face quite honestly because it is such a broken system and a lot of the social workers they're working with who are jaded they weren't always that way and oftentimes you know their hearts are guarded and it's one thing if you know the Lord and you're a social worker I don't know how people do it without knowing Jesus as Savior. I see that about a lot day. of things. I see that as a foster mom and adoptive mom I don't know how marriages last I don't know I think that's a great point at the end of the day, you know that you are not the one that is in control, that God is in control, and that you're just his mouthpiece, that you're just his vessel. And you also know the promises as a social worker, you know the promises of God for these children, that he says that he'll defend them, that he sets alone in families. Um, all of those scriptures our medicine to a social worker's heart. And so you can be encouraging your social worker to remember why they came into the field and what they're doing if they're not a believer. Um, just reminding them, asking them questions about what, you know, what, what made them come into social work and why do they do what they do and get them to kind of think through that original um, pull and, and passion amidst all of the chaos <laughs> and, um, discouragement that they face. But if you do have social workers that are believers, encourage them with the word. That's a, a really, really powerful reminder for us. I think we see 
sometimes we see our social workers as like case machines. This, you know, you are responsible for my child's case and you, when you come in my home, I'm going to berate you with questions. I'm going to put information at you. I have high expectations. There's a child's life on the line, you know, and we see social workers as case machines, I think, rather than humans, humans who either know Jesus. And like you said, we can encourage them with that or don't. And then even more so that we should come with gratitude and encouragement that we should be the homes that they feel refreshed when they're in them, even if it's a challenging case, that they know that we're for them. And it's really powerful to hear it from your point of view. Um, the, I love what you said about if they seem jaded, they probably weren't always that way. That's a great, because what I hear most often, I think, is nobody cares about these kids. That is the most common thing I hear. If you were sitting with a group of moms and you heard nobody cares about these kids, what would you say to them? I would tell them that they, the social workers are often overworked, underpaid, they have so many caseloads. If they didn't care about these kids, they wouldn't be doing the job that they're doing. Um, and just to remind them um, that every person has a strength. One of the things they teach you in social work is strength-based perspective. And I really think that's a beautiful thing also to encourage um, caregivers, foster parents, um, adoptive parents, is looking at it through every person has a strength. And so as much as it's hard, to, and you see situations where their actions don't show that they seem to care, think through what is one thing that I like about the social worker? What's one positive thing that they have? You know, maybe they, maybe they are strong and, and, and um, they're stubborn, but maybe that makes them a good advocate. Mm -hmm. You know, think through what you can highlight and, and build. Mm -hmm. Super helpful. I love that, Winnie. Thank you. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.fosterthefamilyblog.com slash realmompodcast. There you'll find links to all the resources we talk about, any books or fun things we discuss, recipes. That will be the best place for you to get the full Real Mom Podcast experience. All right, so let's go back to just you as a mom. Tell me right now as a mom, I guess, but also as an adoptive mom, tell me what you've been learning. What has been hard in your mom journey right now? What God's been teaching you? I have this really interesting age gap with my kids. Um, also, I have you, a look, you look like you're about 16. <laughs> How often do you get the like, oh my goodness, you have... Every week. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, every week I get that. Um, it's very common. Um, so, yes, I have a, a tween that soon here will look like people probably ask me, are you her sister oh, or God. her mom? Yep. <laughs> so yep. I'm preparing for that. <laughs> but I have a tween and then I have an almost one-year-old and that's a really different dichotomy of parenting. And I feel like I am struggling to be able to – connect in the way that I really want to with my older kiddo. And I've had the privilege of being able to experience some of the training through Empower to Connect and 
TBRI and um, the Connected Child book. And a lot of the things in my early years of parenting um, were focused more on elementary um, and the younger ages. And now I have a tween and I'm really being challenged at what does it look like to have connection a hormonal um, girl teen and what are creative ways that I can I can learn to have hard conversations without being as confrontational one thing that I have found that's super helpful is having conversations in the car so we're not looking at each other face to face eye to eye I'm driving she's in the back seat she can hear me she's stuck with me there's nowhere she can go <laughs> uh, so that's right. a positive but also um, being able to have hard conversations and knowing that you know I'm not staring at her in the face I'm not looking at her body language we just able to get it out there in the open has been a really helpful tool in in, in parenting a tween that's so good and I remember that as a teenager I remember thinking there's so much less pressure right now because there's music playing and I don't have to keep up this conversation. I actually just shared that. I don't have a tween and I just shared that in one of my breakouts from the teen point of view. I remember that. So I think that's a really helpful thought for those of us who have forgotten what it's like to have your parent grill you with questions. And that's not how we talk to anyone. Let's not talk to our kids that way. I'm, my oldest is nine, so I'm a little bit behind you. So I'll just keep asking you these questions and you can just keep telling me what your newest strategy is. <laughs> but you threw something Sounds out. Sounds good, Jamie. Yeah, okay. You could be my, my mentor. Uh, you threw something else out in the middle of that, and that was Karen Purvis, The Connected Child, TBRI, Empowered to Connect. And we're both huge fans of that. I went, I read the book. I think before I became a foster parent, but I went to my first Empowered to Connect simulcast last year. And around that same time, I started to understand my child's sensory needs and there were services in place. And I felt like within a month period, my life was changed. The way I viewed my child, the way I saw their, um, uh, behaviors as ways that they were communicating, the strategies I had, it was huge for me. So I know we both really believe in that. We're both hosting Empowered to Connect simulcasts, right? Do you yeah. give a little info about yours? Yeah. Um, so I am in the Central Valley of California, and my organization is actually sponsoring two two-day simulcasts. One is in Fresno, California. And the other is in Kingsburg, which is about 30, 40 minutes south of Fresno. And this is our third year hosting the simulcast. And it's been very well attended in our community. It's like a fire hose of information right. for people. But people keep coming back. Um, and it's exciting because you can be in any part of the stage. You could be just in the beginning, not even officially licensed to foster. You could have adopted 10 years ago, you could be a social worker, a teacher. Teachers get so much out of this, a therapist. And it speaks to any professional or parent where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. What would be your kind of big thing that when you first went to your first Empowered to Connect or read the book, what was the, what's the big thing that you always carry with you? 
I think for me, the biggest thing is actually when I went to a train the trainer for Empower to Connect. So the simulcast is one thing that they offer, but they also have um, foster and adoptive parents who get trained all over the United States and now even in Mexico uh, to do like a small group kind of class size parent training support. And the training that I went to with my husband in Texas, we had to go through the adult attachment assessment. So we had to look at our own history as a parent. Like what, how were we parented? What was our attachment style? And how does that affect and or block our parenting with our children and I was having one particular issue that I was struggling with my oldest and that was um, this idea of independence so I grew up as the only child and I have a half-brother who's eight years older than me and I was always around adults I was always praised for being more mature than my age was and now I become a parent at 26 to a five-year-old who acts three. <laughs> mm. So I was getting triggered with a lot of her dependency and not being able to play on her own and not being able to, you know, she, she had been neglected and, and she, we were trying to bond and attach, but I was feeling like I was getting irritated with that. And so one of the things that I've really taken away from all of the resources in power to connect and specifically the parent training is that we have to own our own stuff and our own history as parents before we go, even go into learning those tools. If we want to learn those tools, but we're still being stuck on being triggered uh, by our kids, then we're not going to be able to really implement connecting and redirecting in a way that is healthy. And so me owning up to, okay, this is just my own history. I valued independence. My child is not independent and, you know, own that and then move on allowed me to get less frustrated. Mm, that's good. For me, it was that my, one of my children who has the most significant struggles came to me at four weeks old. So as a naive, ignorant, adoptive parent, it was like, oh, four weeks, that means there's no trauma. It means that we get this clean slate and she's just this perfect little. Well, we face significant, significant struggles with her. And going to Empowered to Connect you know, I, I read the book and I've read resources. I love to educate myself, but it was so powerful to me. I hate science. That is not my thing. I am relational. So some of the strategies for relating, that comes more naturally to me. But sitting and listening to the anatomy, the biology of the brain was life-changing for me. To see the, you know, the prefrontal cortex and are they operating from that or their brainstem is the, you know, that firing. And it was so helpful for me to see that my daughter lived in a place of, like I compare it to, this is a podcast for moms, so I'm just going to go there. I compare it to like when I have my period, <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm responsible for my behavior and all that stuff. But when I have my period, it is much, much harder for me to keep my cool. Well, I was joking that like my three-year-old's like walking around <laughs> PMSing all the time, but it was so helpful for me to have an understanding of, I know what it's like when I feel stressed. She lives in a place of stress. I know what it's like when, when anxiety is bubbling there, that one little thing going wrong can set me off. And that was really life-changing for me. Just 
the anatomy of the brain. And that simple description completely changed the way I view and then parented her. And it was, it was huge for me. So we, I know we're both really excited to bring that to the people around us because I, yeah, it's so hard living. There are such great resources for parents. So yeah, so I'm going to place the link for those on the landing page and hopefully everyone who's listening can make it to this Empowered to Connect simulcast. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about you as a person, not just as a mom and social worker and ministry leader. And so I want to know what you're doing, what you're eating, what you're reading, what you're watching, and what you're listening to. So let's start with what you're doing. What am I doing? I am really enjoying learning calligraphy right now. It's like my little self-care. So I up a class one I do Bible journaling as well oh, and I really fun. enjoyed it and now I've been doing that on the side there's some really great um, things even I picked up a book the other day nine dollars on sale at Barnes and Noble calligraphy book so it doesn't have to be expensive habit did you take <laughs> it's a very class initially relaxing. was it like a go and sit in a classroom kind of class it was a good friend of mine, um, Legacy of Love. You can look up her on Instagram. Ooh, okay. She has uh, classes she does um, in Fresno, where we were at, but she also has an Instagram where she posts different um, resources and uh, awesome books and uh, calligraphy journals and such. And she makes uh, Bible journals, excuse me. And so, yeah. So does she do things where rather than me doing calligraphy, because I'm probably not going to, where I can buy her calligraphy and just put it up in my house? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. I'm going to look her up then. Okay. So what you're eating? I am currently with poke bowls. Do you know what that is, Jamie? Because I hear you're a sushi fan. What is it? They're called poke bowls. No. When you come See, out to California, California, I'm going to make sure to uh, treat you to a poke bowl, Jamie. Awesome. But essentially what it is is a deconstructed sushi bowl. Oh, so it's a fun. rice bowl, but it has sushi in it. And it's like a build-your-own similar to a chipotle, but it's all sushi bar. Oh, so my So you gosh. pick your protein and your type of rice, and then whatever crab or salmon, shrimp, tofu, and oh all gosh. the yummy toppings of edamame, seaweed, uh, that, sesame seeds, and it's addicting. So I love, I'm a foodie, big time. I love food. And so I, I was in Seattle with my two very best friends, and they roll their eyes at me because it's like, where are we going to go? They want a burger. And I'm like, guys, there's, you know, a hot pot place and, and here's ramen. And we, I want the most fun foods. I love when food is an experience like that. And I act like a hyperactive child. I just sit there and say over and over, like, this is so fun. This is, we went to this place that was called Sip Thai and their whole thing was like Thai tea. Well, I don't even drink tea, but the fact that they had 24 varieties of tea just brought such joy to me that I was like, okay, Thai tea it is, and got all different kinds. I get so excited about food. A poke bowl sounds like my jam. You're a girl after my own heart because I'm a foodie too. So that'll be fun when we connect later in the year. (laughs) Yeah, that will be fun. That'll be great. All right. Tell me what you're reading. 
I was recommended the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality this year from a good mentor friend of mine, and I've really been enjoying it. I feel like that's something as the church um, that we often neglect. He also has one on um, emotionally healthy leaders, and I just downloaded the Audible for that as well, and it's on Amazon right now, so I'm excited to dive into that after again. Yeah, that was recommended to me by, I think within a few weeks, like three or four different like ministry leaders or, and I was like, okay, what, once the fourth person says you need to read a book, you buy the book and you read it. And that was huge for me because I, um, I go to a church that is so strong in doctrine. And so I grew up with this strong awareness of fighting sin and, how important it was to pursue sanctification. But I think that I changed that in my mind a little bit to this definition that emotions are sinful, (laughs) that when we feel emotions and when we kind of let ourselves feel them completely, that they're sinful and we need to stop them right away. We need to fight them. We need to speak truth to them. And that book was really big for me. And even just as a foster adoptive parent, I think it's really big. I was listening to Mike Berry, my friend Mike Berry from Confessions of of an Adoptive Parent this weekend in Seattle. And he was saying that one of his kids said something about being mad at his birth mom and used a curse word and was angry. And he was saying, you know, I used to get all Christian-y at him. Like, we do not talk that way. We walk in love. We don't use those kind of words. And he realized that it was much more compassionate for his child to be able to release that and be in that emotion and him be in it with him. And then later, (laughs) later we can have a conversation about our words and about how we can forgive and all that. But that emotions don't start off as sinful. Emotions aren't in and of themselves sinful. And we need to let ourselves and our kids, especially our kids who've experienced trauma, to really have those and feel those fully. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's going to bring a lot of freedom to a lot of people in the church reading this book, because I feel like um, we don't look at ourselves holistically. God is a, is a holistic God and he, mind, body, spirit, emotions. Um, and, but yet we deny that part of ourselves. Also like part of the book where it talks about boundaries, um, and how emotional boundaries oftentimes if you're in ministry, which my husband's a pastor and I run a nonprofit and we're in ministry and we have been learning over and over again about emotionally healthy boundaries with other people. Mm. Um, that been bit away from that book for, from us. Yeah, that that's a great book. All right, tell me what you're watching. Well, besides the typical answer, I know I think of, I need to make a rule. No one is allowed to say uh, this is us. Yes, that's just no. Right. <laughs> um, I really enjoy. And this is like sort of a, a guilty pleasure, Go for but it. I enjoy Modern Family, Modern okay. Family, because I just like to laugh. And um, they, yeah, my husband and I, we just sometimes need to be able to sit down and have a show that we can just laugh at. And so um, we like Modern Family. <laughs> That's a fun one. 
Yeah. And there's some adoption in there. And I love anytime I'm a big family person. So those shows that have grown siblings and their interactions, like we're watching parenthood, rewatching parenthood right now. And I love that. I love the grown siblings, friends together. And yeah, that's a funny one. Okay. What are you listening to? I have my church's new worship album on repeat constantly on Spotify. Ooh, so as I mentioned, me what it is. my my husband is an a executive pastor at a church plant. Um, and there is an awesome worship team that put together and released an album. Via Music is um, the musicians, but the album is called Renewal. Okay. And it's a worship album. There's only six songs on it, but it, they are passionate, spirit-filled songs that l- literally get me through my day, um, especially in the morning. And you can find them on Spotify um, as well as Amazon Music. But they are super talented. They wrote all the songs except one. Um, and it's just been incredible to see the people that we know so intimately ministering to so many in a different way. So yeah, mm. renewal is Ooh, my I can't uh, wait go-to. To look that up. Yeah. I listen, I find an album and then I listen to it until it dies basically. So I need something like that. That's great. I need something new. All right. So I had you on here today as a mom, but you do work Well, you run your own nonprofit I, my question to where can my listeners find you? How about you just tell us about City Without Orphans and a little bit about what you're doing, any events coming up, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So seven years ago, my husband and I co-founded a nonprofit called City Without Orphans. And that was birthed out of me working in the foster care system and seeing so many gaps, so many needs of families, but mainly seeing that we had churches, businesses, and our local government completely disconnected, not mm-hmm. working together mm-hmm. um, to bring change for our kids in our community and our most vulnerable children, really, um, who are in foster care. And so we decided to launch a nonprofit that focuses on four main things, which is um, we bring awareness about foster care and adoption in our community. We educate families who are considering fostering adoption, so we want to recruit families. We don't place kids in families, but we do want to give them reliable information um, and biblically-based information as they're going into processing um, or praying about becoming a foster and adoptive parent. Is your course, is that like completely available to people now? Yes. Okay, so So say that here because that was, I loved that. That was such a great tool. I I would love for everyone to be able to see it. Yeah. So originally we did the classes just live. And then this year we recorded an online course. So if you go to exploringfostercareandadoption.com, you'll see a course that we created. It's a seven video series. It's not very long. It's just basic information for those who are exploring. They're just considering they're in the beginning stages trying to figure out information and it's all topical we talk about myths and misunderstandings foster care the different types of adoption how to advocate in the system um, just some really good general information and it's relevant to anyone anywhere yeah it's a really great resource all right so I cut you off so another thing you do is try to recruit families yeah we, we have a need for more foster parents we in Fresno. No, in the greater area, we've got 
over 2,000 kids in our system. So we need more foster parents and adoptive parents. So we try to recruit through this seminar we teach in the community and through our online course. And then in addition, we mobilize families and, and individuals in the community. So we say it's not if you're called, it's how. Mm-hmm. So you may be someone who is not feeling like they are in the season or want to foster or adopt, but what can you do to come alongside? Um, and that can look like doing tangible drives for foster youth. That can look like mentorship, becoming a CASA advocate. Um, and we have very various opportunities in the community. Um, currently, we're working on collecting kitchen items and dorm items for college-age foster youth. I because in California, that. you can stay until 21. So we try to really, you know, um, mobilize people in other ways. And then last thing we do is we support families who foster and adopt. So we do um, the Empower to Connect courses, the trainings. We also hold a babysitting night every other month. So free babysitting for any foster and adoptive parents. That so just all I have to do hours. Is, is get my kids to Fresno and then I can get free babysitting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's awesome. No yeah. small feet. <laughs> I think that we, I think we initially connected online because somehow I came across City Without Orphans and just fell in love with what you do. And wished and prayed there was something like that in New Jersey. I love what you're all about. I love all that your organization does. It's just such a gift to the children and families where you are. So I'm going to be with you in May, right? It's May yes. 4th, is it? 4th, yes. Yeah, so you posted on Instagram. Yeah, and then I just shared it. And like 10 people have reached out like, oh, I'll be there. Or, oh, now I'll be there. Yeah. So... I, I got the good response as well. So I'm excited. You can find us at Instagram at saveatorphans.com or well, you can find us on our website as well at saveatorphans.com. But yeah, our handle is city without orphans. Great. Yeah. I want everyone to know where to find you. All right, Whitney, this has been a great conversation. I'm really grateful for your perspective. I'm grateful for your time. I think that this is really going to bless mom. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can follow us online, www.fosterthefamilyblog.com slash realmompodcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash realmompodcast, or on Instagram at, at realmompodcast. Thanks for listening.